a series, as you know, um, Dare to Be Different. Um, you know, sometimes when I'm when we're when you get into a series, sometimes you you hit one of those chapters where you're thinking, okay. As I studied this chapter, I'm going, oh, I don't want to preach on that. Um, um, and 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 as most of you may know, a lot of this stuff. Um, a lot of times when you hear messages, oftentimes it's. Uh, um, I, I, I wouldn't say that it's just because it's things that I'm struggling with, but you hear certainly things that, that the, the preacher himself is maybe uh, certainly on his heart or certainly things that are, um, um, you begin to see, hear, hear, I guess, things from, it's not just from my perspective, but, but certainly things that, that I can certainly err in. And, um, uh, but anyway, this is one of the topics I'm thinking, oh, no, nah, I don't want to preach that. But anyway, uh, just a reminder to you guys, uh, a couple weeks ago we had a celebration, or it's actually been a month now, we had a celebration service, and if you go up into the, on the top there, you'll see a number of the things that we've gone through. We do that every year, we kind of list them, and this is what we've done, and we get to brag about it, and we get to get excited and of the things that are happening at New Life. And, and I got to thinking about that a little bit this last week, and you know, we... Um, we we um, we really do want to press the idea around here that God deserves our very best and that you and I ought to give him our very best. We ought to give it in such a way, in, in some way, that really brings him honor and brings him glory. And yet, um, at the same time, and I, I think we would all agree with this, some, we, we, we don't really want to put undue attention upon ourselves. And I, I, I think that that's true of ourselves as I look at our congregation and I see us and I, I think that's true of us. Um, but I'm talking about, um, and I'm think, I was thinking about, you know, how we serve God in the church and, you know, and how we bring honor to God as we serve Him here at New Life. And, uh, you know, certainly there's a number of ways that we do that, whether you're an elder or you work or you're one of, you know, serving in on uh, the REACH ministry or if you're you're uh, contributing, uh, you know, your, uh, to the worship, uh, you know, help lead in worship, or you're decorating, or you're mowing lawn, or you're plowing the snow, or uh, preparing dinners, or helping with our giveaways, or, you know, we could go on and on, okay? We saw the list, you know, we don't have to go through all of it today again. But I, I just, can I just say something? It's just such a remarkable thing to be involved in the service of the king. But I think it's also easy in the midst of that to get yourself in the wrong place where you are seeing the wrong person at the center of things. And I really believe that that was the problem that Nebuchadnezzar was having in Daniel chapter 4, getting himself in the wrong place. I, 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 just, I, I want to come to, to Nebuchadnezzar's story. This is another one of those dreams that he has, again, in Daniel chapter 4. And uh, certainly there's good reason why Nebuchadnezzar would feel the way he does about himself. I mean, chapter 4 is about, uh, this is actually 30 years down the road from chapter 3. And things are positive. Things are prosperous. prosperous. There's peace in, in the kingdom in, in Babylon. Never, Nebuchadnezzar, he rules over the entire known world. And he really doesn't have any enemies that can do anything about him. He has built for him this city that is fortressed by walls that the archaeologists, if you read some of the archaeology stuff, and, and, and they, they have discovered that these are as much as the, the, the 23 feet wide at their base. 
a series actually of a pair of walls and then there's this moat in between and, 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 and then another pair of walls and the outside wall is 11 feet thick. The next wall is 22 feet thick. I mean, those walls were probably close to being about 40 feet high. I mean, this is a city that basically cannot be penetrated by the enemy. And so he has a right, or he has, a, or has reason, I should say, not maybe a right, but he has reason to, be, uh, to think the way that he, he does. He's, he's got this problem of, of arrogance. And this, uh, this, uh, these, this wall, or this city, is, and these walls and this fortress that he has, it just can't be penetrated. Plus, you have on the top of that, you have, this is also an area where it has one of the seven wonders of the world. And I, I meant to get some pictures of that for you today. I mean, it's, it's, it's what they've uncovered and look at and stuff. But uh, right at the very heart of his kingdom is, is the Hanging Gardens. Well, uh, at least the remains of that. Uh, well, at that time, that's, in that time it was there. Uh, and just a, just a little bit of, about what that was. Nebuchadnezzar had a wife who was a foreign from another country. She, she missed home, and so she liked mountains. She liked trees, and frankly, she didn't like the heat, of, heat in Iraq. And so he built for her these hanging gardens. And uh, archaeologists tell us, or they describe it as the most remarkable feat of engineering ever. And they have found what they believe to be Nebuchadnezzar's dedication speech in which he goes to great lengths, bragging and bragging over and over about all of his accomplishments. Um, I'm not going to read that speech. It's kind of long, but um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. And you can actually Google all this stuff, and you can see it all. I mean, just uh, it's, it's there. But the point that I'm, I really want to make is that Nebuchadnezzar, he struggles with something. And, and what he struggles with is this issue of just being, he was a tremendously arrogant man. And like in chapter 2, he has this other dream, only this dream in chapter 4 is absolutely terrifying. In fact, unlike in chapter 2, he doesn't even bother to try to have people who can interpret dreams tell him the dream. Remember what he did in chapter 2? You know, tell me the dream and then interpret it. Otherwise, if you can't tell me what it is, I'm going you know, to cut your heads off. He just wants to go right straight to the answer, tell me what it means, and of course, when his own magicians can't, he turns right away to Daniel, and Daniel interprets that dream. So we pick up the dream in Daniel chapter 4, verse 19, where Daniel essentially rehearses the dream, and then he gives its explanation. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 19, just take a look at that. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its tops reaching to the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream 
about this huge tree. It's not unlike the dream that he had in chapter 2 where you have this pillar with the head of gold uh, and, or, or the large 90-foot statue that he built for himself in chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar has this sense of just himself being huge, of being important, of that, and, and I think this dream confirms that. He is, in fact, that tree that has made it possible for all of the other nations around him to have peace, to have prosperity. But that's not the whole dream. Verse 23, Daniel says this, You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from, the heaven, from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. Bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass for him. Uh, Daniel actually comes back to this dream to remind the king that something terrible is about to happen and the tree is going to get cut down. And, and, and then there's this really interesting shift. I don't know if you caught it when we went by. I might have even, um, in, the, in the verse there, I might have even had it um, highlighted just to make it that way. But there's this, there's, this, uh, there's this shift that takes place because we're not, no longer talking about an inanimate object anymore. We're not talking about an inanimate tree. The text now shifts to a personal pronoun, he. The text, uh, and he will spend time out in the fields and, 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 and until seven times passes. Most, most people think that this to be years. But, but, but here's, you, you move to ja, uh, verse 24 and, and you get Daniel's interpretation. This is the interpretation. O king, this is the old interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued my Lord against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from, the, from people. Live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes the command to leave the stump of that tree, with its, of the tree with its roots, means that your kingdom will be restored to you when? When you acknowledge that heaven rules. And listen then to Daniel's plea to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 27. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. <laughs> he says there's a way to avoid this, right? A way for you not to suffer such a, dis uh, a demise. And, and, and if you read the text, I mean, apparently Nebuchadnezzar listened to him, at least for a little bit. But about 12 months later, if you follow the text, the king was walking on the roof of his palace, and in verse number 30, he says this, these words. Is this not the great Babylon that I have built as, the, as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my, mis, uh, of my majesty? It reminds me of uh, King Herod in the New Testament who 
who was talking about all of his things, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know is he, God kills him and he's eaten by worms. We, we just read that in Acts this last week, and the kids are like, well, that was effective. <laughs> but, but isn't that what he's doing there? It's the same kind of thing. It's just like he's just, he is God, he's on this trip, and he thinks he's important, and we, you know. And he has probably reason for thinking those ways. But, but you hear the arrogance, you hear the pride, is this not the city that I built by my power for my glory? And you know what happens, right? We all know what happens to this story. If you don't, I encourage you to, I'm, well, I'll tell you a little bit. I'm not going to have us read all of it, but Nebuchadnezzar barely gets those words out of his mouth, and all of everything that, that was said comes true automatically, immediately. I think the words in the text are immediately. He's driven away from the people. He's eat, he ate grass like cattle. He, his body is drenched in and, and all of a sudden you have this, this prophecy that's fulfilled. But I think that, I, I really think that what this, this chapter is about is it, it helps us to really understand that pride is a very powerful thing. And that arrogance will always get you into trouble. What, and I think that what we want to do this morning is just to take a look at some of the uh, the consequences of that kind of, of arrogant pride and to look at the flip side and to ask ourselves, you know, what are the effects of humility in the life of a, of a, of a person? Because it just seems to me that it's extremely important for us to understand that there is a danger in being prideful. There's a danger in pride. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says that pride goes before destruction. Um, so rest assured that arrogance will have its ultimate end. It will lead to our demise. By the way, some of you may remember this, and I, I, it, it's an image I probably won't ever forget, but about 3,000 years later, after Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in December of 2003, uh, New, Newsweek uh, magazine covered this and uh, uh, ran, on, ran an article on this, and then you may remember maybe even some television uh, images of Saddam Hussein, you know, they're picking through his hair and everything else. Anybody remember seeing that? The alleged son of Nebuchadnezzar going through the same fate as his predecessors. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was reportedly Saddam's hero. Um, humility, though, is the only anecdote to pride, and pride has its consequences. And I. I think that one of the consequences of pride is that, uh, and remember what I, what, what I started out with is like, oh, I, I looked at this and I go, I don't want to preach on this. And, and, and because there's a lot of self-reflection, self-reflection. I, I, I wasn't thinking Neil when I was preaching my sermon or writing my sermon or, any of, or, or Dave or any of you. Um, the problem is I had to look inside. And so... Um, one of the consequences of pride is that we forget the foundation upon which we've been built. We forget that our life is built around the foundational principle that God is ultimately in charge of our lives. And I confess that I sometimes forget that. We forget that we didn't get here or where we're at by our own strength and by our own power. And the constant reminder that we are not self-made people, I think, is incredibly important. Whatever it is that you and I bring to the table in the way of gifts and abilities, I think that we need to realize that 
they were not ours to begin with. They were God's gifts to you and me. And maybe more importantly, we are to exercise them not for our benefit, but for, but for His. So I think that one of the consequences of pride is that ultimately we forget our foundation. But I think at the same time, so we oftentimes forget our, our responsibility. Uh, be, you know, I mean, it's not just that, that we have this foundation that's been built upon what, what God has done for us, but, but we have been given these things in order to use them for somebody else. See, because pride, it, it leads us to forget that we have been blessed to be a blessing. Uh, the consequence of our pride is that we, we stop looking out for the other people and we start thinking only of ourselves as if somehow the universe is revolve, uh, revolves around us. And, and, and from the beginning of the Bible story, in Genesis chapter 12, we have been blessed to be a blessing. We're never, we were never given what we have to use for ourselves. We have been given what we have been given, whether it's our personalities or our character or our abilities or our, our resources or our finances or whatever it might be. We've been given that so that so that we can, in fact, use that for other people. We have been blessed to bless, never to be selfish with what we have. And, and I think that pride comes along and it makes us think that we become, we are actually, in fact, the center of the universe and, and that all of this stuff is for us, it's for me, right? And it was never intended for us. It was intended to be used for someone. Uh, we often, I think, as a consequence of our pride, we simply forget the fundamental need um, that, we need, that we have for God. As a third item there. We are who we are because we have been made in God's image. And anything that is good in you and me is not inherent in you and me. Anything that is good uh, in, in you is not in, in, in me is not inherent in you and me. It, it is because that you and I have the remnants of God in us as his creation. And yet when life begins to treat you well, you sometimes forget that you even need God in the midst of stuff. A few years ago, there's a, I, I, um, there's a, a company in Arizona. I had this on my computer somewhere. I don't, I don't have the details of all of this. But anyway, there was this, uh, there were some CEOs in Arizona, and they had a survey on them. And, and uh, they, these are million, millionaire guys. I mean, at least they got at least a million, million dollars in their bank account, um, not including their houses and all the other properties that they own. They, these guys have money. Some CEOs of some company, anyway. They're corporate leaders, and they've got a huge net worth. Um, but they were asked what they credited their success to. Now, you, you probably already can guess what, what they're going to say, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. Um, here's what they said. 99% of them said that they succeeded because of hard work. you got to have grit. We do think that way, don't we? I, I'm telling you, I, more than once I've said, you know what, I did this. Man, I worked hard for this, and it's, it's, it's successful because, man, I put my feet to the grindstone, and I'm telling you, is that the word? It's not feet to the grindstone. No, no, no. Nose to the grindstone. <laughs> I'm changing it. We've we got, we got a new adage now, and that's going to be, you know, 10, 100 years from now, they're going to say, Paul Roberts said. 97% said that they succeeded because of intelligence and good sense. 
Yeah, there's a lot of people that think that way. 83% because they had a higher than average IQ. 62% said that, that it was because they were the best at everything. 32% <laughs> said that they succeeded because of pure luck. Did you notice what's not on that list? See, that's, that's what pride does. It makes you think that you can do this on your own, that you are the center of, of everything. Humility, on the other hand, I think is the reverse of that. Humility, well, humility, let me just stop for a minute. Humility, contrary to public opinion, is not self-denigration. I think we should get that out of the way. Humility is not putting yourself down. It's not, it's not having to, to uh, you know get all those faults out there and, and start beating yourself up because of them. Humility, in fact, is recognizing who you are through the eyes of, of God Almighty, of God, of, of the creator of the universe. Humility is, is, is just recognizing that you and I have enormous value, that you and I are, are, are people who are made in God's image, but that you have your own weaknesses and you cannot do this by yourself. See, humility teaches me to renounce myself. Did you notice that in verse 27 when it went by? I think it's critical that we understand what Daniel is trying to get Nebuchadnezzar to see. Verse number 27 ought to be marked in your Bible. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. Humility recognizes that I am a sinner. And that in and of myself, I am going, I, I, I'm going to do anything that makes me feel good. That's how I'm geared. That's how I'm operating. So as a sinner, that's, that's, that's what I have my natural tendencies toward. But now the opposite of that is not self-denigration. The opposite of that is self-denial. It's, it, it's to do exactly what Peter said, or what Luke said in, 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 in his gospel. Take up your cross how often? Daily. Daily. To just simply die to yourself every day. To recognize that, that in you is this need, this desperate need for God. And sin has to be renounced. But this goes further. This verse goes further than that. Do you notice also in verse number 27, after he says, renounce your sins by doing what is right, he says, renounce your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And, and that is something I, I, I think that we... We should never forget those who are less fortunate than we are. I think pride has a, a way of making us feel as if the world revolves around us. And humility, though, comes along and says that there is this world out there that is not as well off as we are, and we have something that we can do about it, and we ought to do something about it. Now, we're not saying that we can solve as, as, as a, as a every problem that we have in Viroqua or in Vernon County or even the state of Wisconsin or any of that kind of stuff. See, I, I think that too often we forget how blessed we become and we lose sight of that which is the most important to God, which is a world that is hurting. And I think that when we take that seriously, um, all, ultimately I think that the hurts in our world are not are, are I, I think that if you follow some of that back, I think some of that um, the root cause can sometimes be sin. 
But when we take that seriously, the change that takes place isn't something out there. The change that actually takes place is right in here. It's inside of us, and we begin then to, be, to, to think and to feel more like Jesus Christ, who never saw a person without seeing their need and the desire to help that need. See, I think that the effect of humility ultimately comes down to one thing, and that is that it recognizes who really is in charge. And it's not me. None of us, I think, can miss the point of this particular little saying. This came out of, uh, from one of the officials of, Sal- of the Salvation Army. Here's what he said. The axe cannot boast of the tree it has cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. He made it, he sharpened it, and he used it. The moment he throws, throws it aside, it becomes only old iron. The one thing I think that we learn from Daniel chapter 4, there is, there is a God, and we are not him. It's not about us, it's about him. Uh, come back just to, as we close here, just come back to this text here. Look at, look at it, it again. Uh, incidentally, there's a lot of, this, there's a lot of reading in this, in this chapter. Go back and read that this week, chapter 4. There's a lot of stuff that you can fill in, but I, I'm, I'm trying to hit the nuts and bolts of it for, for today. Um, but look at verse number 17. This is the end of the dream. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of, of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliness, lo, the lowliest of men. What Nebuchadnezzar, I think, is supposed to hear and what you and I are supposed to hear when we read this book. This is, a, this is a theme that you see throughout the whole book of Daniel, and you can't miss it. But what we're to learn, what, what we're to learn is that God is ultimately sovereign over the nation and over life. It shows up, up again in, in verse number 34 when you come to the other end of the dream. This is after the seven periods have been passed, and here's I want you to hear Nebuchadnezzar's response. He says, at the end of that time, just, just catch this out. This is, the, this is not one from the Jewish nation. This is one of um, where we get um, someone who gets to share um, an, an author or at least write down some of his comments in our Bibles. A fellow, the king of Babylon. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored, and then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Humility reminds us that God is ultimately in charge of everything. And I think that what we've been trying to say throughout uh, this uh, time as we've looked at the book of Daniel is that we have been called to live lives that are different. Humility, I, I believe, is one of those characteristics that will cause people to sit up and to take notice and to want what it is about you or want to know at least, want what you have, or want to know at least 
what it is about you that makes you the way that you are. And see, I think it's very difficult to elevate yourself and God at the same time. Um, actually impossible. The challenge, I think, of Daniel is to say, live your life in such a way that whatever it is that you do, make sure that God is the one who gets the attention. Make sure that He's the one that gives, gets the glory. And I think that the invitation, or as we talked about in this, what, what is God calling us today? We talked about that in Sunday school. We don't use that terminology anymore. But the invitation that He gives to us, I think, is this, is just to live your life in such a way that people want to know, why are you like that? And I think that the only way that you, that that can ever happen is when Jesus becomes the center, the very center of our lives. Let's pray together. God, that is my heartfelt prayer. And frankly, as I as I preach today, I I can't help but I this really I a lot of this is my own reflections on myself. And I hope it I hope it's things that we will take home and we'll think about too. But God, yeah, that's my heartfelt prayer is that you in fact would be the center, that you would be the 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 nucleus of everything that I'm about and everything that I do. And I just want everyone to see that in my life. And so God, if there's things that there that I need to do to change that so that people will will, will they will recognize that. Uh, God, I pray that you would do that for us. I pray that for all of us, that we would be contemplative over those things and to see that, that, that we truly do need you. And so, uh, God, forgive us. Forgive us when we become prideful and arrogant and uh, forgive us for thinking it's all about us. Uh, help us to put the right focus on the right person upon the person of Jesus Christ. Help us to live our lives that way so that people will want to know more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? Mm -hmm.